Adiyam, everyone. Welcome to Ancient Wisdom for Modern Seekers. Our guest today is Swami Mahayogananda, and our topic is Ask the Swami. So we can talk about anything you want to talk about. If you have any big questions, now's the time to ask. Swami, how are you doing? Thank you, Parama. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, though the topic is a little daunting because uh, I don't feel like I have all the answers by any means. So it could be uh, discussed with the Swami and okay. together, we, together we can come up with <laughs> the answers to some of our questions. <laughs> That's all right. That's, it's a good place to start. And I think what's on a lot of people's mind right now, in, given the global situation, is the situation in the Ukraine. How, you know, I think it's affected a lot of us. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people who are into spirituality anyway are sensitive people. And we pick up on the heaviness, the uh, the gravity of, you know, all that's happening. And we feel for the people going through it, you know? Absolutely. How, how do we handle this spiritually? When we're so far away, we feel helpless. I mean, we're not, how, how many of us can actually go to the Ukraine and fight? You know, that's not our job. We're going to be in the way if we do that. How do we handle it and figure out the best thing to do, you know, and know that uh, it's handled? You know what I mean? Like, like, mother's will i mean it sounds like so lofty of a of a statement when here we are living in basic luxury we're not experiencing war ourselves that's true it's it's one thing that we have to do of course is to pray um and i found on my morning walk a couple of days ago i ran into this art work kind of and i wonder if i can share it with you what's the best way to do is maybe just show with my phone can it will that work i don't know if uh, uh no you won't be able to see it no. um, can you see on the bottom there's a green uh button that says share screen are you allowed to do that well i'm on my i'm talking with you on the laptop and this is on the phone oh i see okay well i don't know how to do it then okay, okay. well it's a it's a street sign and uh it looks like but it's an artwork and it has these different signs on it. I'm going to try to share it with you all if I can share my screen with you. Um, I will do that like this. Um, here's the sign that I saw. And just see what it says starting from the top. It says... If there is to be peace in the world, oops, there must be peace in the nations. If there is to be peace in the nations, there must be peace in the cities. If there is to be peace in the cities, there must be peace between neighbors. If there is to be peace between neighbors, there must be peace in the home. If there is to be peace in the home, there must be peace in the heart. And this is a really a very Vedantic message. It starts, where does peace start? Peace is, peace is something that we 
actually we human beings need to work on on all fronts uh we think that we need to work on it on the international basis yes we do but that work will never succeed uh when the workers who are working on it don't have peace in their hearts it starts with the heart starts with peace within i'm stopping that now okay, uh, okay. that's where the that's if we can find peace within that's that's the start and at the same time of course we we want to work on peace in our cities and in our countries and uh, in our world but uh i think that's one thing that that we forget and yet look at the bhagavad gita the story of the bhagavad gita and the pandavas they were they were very decent upright brothers uh they weren't perfect but they were pretty good and uh, they jumped through all kinds of hoops to just be even settled with five villages, one for each brother. And the wicked Duryodhana, like a modern dictator, refused them. And so it came to war. And they had a, they had a terrible battle in which most, most of the combatants were killed. And right at the beginning of the battle, Sri Krishna reminds Arjuna, you know, you're, you're, you seem to be speaking words of wisdom, but the wise, truly wise, do not grieve. So when we see the kind of massive death and destruction, we, we, I, at least I like to go back to those first verses of the Gita, where Sri Krishna is reminding Arjuna, you will not die, your body dies, but you will not die, you do not. Yeah. This is a, te a temporary sojourn in this world of pain and misery. Yes, there's also happiness here, but it's a relative happiness and it comes with a lot of misery too. And it is impermanent. So Krishna reminds us again and again in different ways. Uh, take refuge in me, yeah. think of me, but I'm the, I'm the, the one true refuge, the one safe harbor in this world, you won't find one. Yeah. And that's the funny thing about the world because it tantalizes it. It makes it seem like, well, we could be, if, if it could be perfect, we could make it perfect or almost perfect. Couldn't we? It seems like we could. And yet there's always something. And then you get along, uh, then comes along something like this, which is a major, major upset uh, in the, equilibrium of the world it seems like and yet there you have it so what can you do right yeah since you brought up the gita there's one line that krishna says or a couple verses actually in um chapter 11 they came to mind where um you know, uh, this is when Arjuna has had the vision. He's seen how brutal Krishna can be, right? How just destructive. Well, and, how, how he's not, I wouldn't say how brutal Krishna can be, but how uh, Krishna as the absolute encompasses everything. 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 Manifestation, yeah, yeah. preservation, and also destruction. Everything right. that destruction comes that also into him. Yeah. But at first he notices the good stuff and then he starts noticing the ugly stuff. Right. And then he gets taken aback and he asks Krishna, what is this? You know, and Krishna says, I am human time and it's time that slays these men. 
even without battle, warriors meet their very end. Stand up and you'll win glory. Fight and appear to slay by me with no other. They will die anyway. That's like really harsh words, but that's reality, right? We're all dying right now. The minute we're born, we start to die. The body is deteriorating. Oh, there's a little period of, of growth and... Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just yes. like, I mean, just like a flower, everything has the life cycle that goes through it. So I think at this point, he's trying to alleviate some of Arjuna's uh, guilt and fear that Arjuna feels like he is causing the situation. Is that right? Well, he, he's, uh, he, he, it looks like he has to kill his own family members, his own rel relations. How can he do that? Friends and relations. And yet they're on the other side. And in Ukraine, I'm sure you have the same thing. You have family members uh, on both sides because they're right close. Though, of course, there are, I don't know all the details, but uh, certainly there are Ukrainians living in Russia and probably having to serve in the Russian army and Russians living in Ukraine and serving in the Ukrainian army. Well, and uh, from a spiritual point of view, we're all family, every, every one of us. So, you know. You can also, if you're, if you really have the stomach for it, you can turn to Swami Vivekananda's poem on Mother Kali. The, the um, you, you know, the Kali, the mother, the poem, Kali, the mother. Yeah. Do you remember part of it to tell us? Hold on I to. Have hold, it memorized. Hold on to your seats. <laughs> well, it's really, it's kind of frightening. It starts out with, um, um, just a second. Come, mother, come. Right, like he wants. What are the, what's the first line? Give me the first word. I'm, I'm just spacing on the first word. I the stars are blotted out. The stars are blotted. But, uh, the stars are blotted out. The clouds are covering clouds. It is darkness, vibrant. Sonant. In the roaring, whirling wind are the souls of a million lunatics just loosed from the prison house, wrenching trees by the roots, sweeping all from the path. The sea has joined the fray and swirls up mountain waves to reach the pitchy sky. The flash of lurid light reveals on every side a thousand, thousand shades of death, begrimed and black, dancing. <laughs> Death begrimed and black, scattering plagues and sorrows, dancing mad with joy. Come, mother, come, for terror is thy name, death is in thy breath, and every shaking step destroys a world forever. Thou time, the all-destroyer, come, O mother, come. Who dares misery love and hug the form of death, dance in destruction's dance, to him the mother comes. Mm. Wow. So that's the that that if you don't know, I mean, it, it, I'm. I hope I didn't shock any of you. It's it's because it's uh, you have to uh, 
understand Swamiji's mood at that time, that he wanted to find God in all the horrible, in all the pain and all the horror of the world. And where can, can you see God even there? Only then do you get the full picture. Only then can you get the, the complete picture of if God is infinite and one and non-dual, then you have to see God in pain and suffering and wickedness as well as in good and beauty. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very uh, high spiritual concept. Yeah. I mean, we all want to think that, you know, lollipops and sunshine and sunflowers, but it's um, life is everything. Every the good, the bad and the ugly. But then at the same time, okay, so this is what I mentioned in church today. Om Tat Sat. Sat means goodness, existence, truth. And when you put it with Om Tat Sat, it is basically saying everything is existence. Everything is goodness. I'm thinking that it means that underlying the appearance of the negativity and the appearance of the instability and everything there is some goodness there is god that shines through like the sky behind the dark clouds so is that the right interpretation i i will not venture to say that something is right or not or, or wrong but i will say that i i think the that use the term goodness is a little problematic because in our minds it's so much a part of the duality of good and bad right, right and so when we say goodness we think well that that's something opposed to badness but in our vedantic understanding we have the pairs of opposites and wherever we see good we also see bad where there's cold there's heat where there's pleasure there's pain and vice versa mm -hmm. and uh the divine is beyond yeah. both beyond both good and bad so sat is that infinite existence which is the very which as our true nature we are isness as it as it were mm. as, as we, we that one way to translate sat is as isness we are we exist and that's the that's the fundam that's the root is that isness that existence and what's the nature of that isness it's also consciousness we are consciousness isness consciousness and bliss so from our from our standpoint we say well that's good so we like to label it as good it goes beyond good uh, to be the very reality as existence everything exists only because brahman is existence itself yeah and i remember um i had this you know i asked uh, Swami Sarvapriyananda, the day, I don't know, I think it was the day of, I think it was the day of the Capitol insurrection, January 6th, that was a Wednesday, and there was a class that night, and I was just, like, shaking, because I was watching it happen in real time, as a, a lot of us were, because every network was carrying it, it was on the computer and everything, and I asked him, I said, how are we supposed to handle this? And at first he goes, just don't look at it. But then he's like, okay, let me give you a more of an explanation. Okay. Yes, it's terrible. 
but it's happening today. Tomorrow won't be happening. It wasn't happening the day before. Everything changes. Everything comes and goes and comes and goes. And this is just another thing that's coming and going. And there's no way you can possibly keep up with all of it. So, you know, stand in the truth, you know, on Tatsats and look at what is real. What is real is the unchanging. So look at what is unchanging. So I thought that was really good advice, you know. And I think it applies to the situation in Ukraine, although it's not just a one day thing, you know, this and it's not going to affect just a limited number of people. This is having global repercussions, but I guess it's it applies the same way, you know. It's when the stuff like this happens that we, it's like Vedanta examinations. We sit for our exams. The exams are when really difficult things happen in life, either in our own lives or on the world stage like this. Are we able to maintain our equanimity? Are we able to see uh, the divine? And then uh, even in that, and then of course, at the same time, per perhaps we want to pray intensely for, for peace. Let the peace arise in the hearts of all those uh, people who are warring. Right. And I think it's also like the whole microcosm, macrocosm stuff. Like you were saying, it's a uh, think globally, act locally. What's going on in our house? You know, an argument between brothers and sisters in a household could be just as emotionally upsetting as something going on over there on the microcosm level, right? So if we can create peace where we are, then that peace can emanate outward. And I know the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi did this study. He's done a lot of studies on meditation. That's one thing the organization is really proud of is the documenting the science behind mm -hmm. meditation and everything. Yeah, yeah. And he said that if just 1% just 1% of the population meditates, we can have world peace. Well, that's a pretty big, big claim, but uh, um, it's attractive, certainly. And it it's, has, we like to think maybe it would take more than 1%, but uh, um, I think they had some studies. I don't know how, if they've been replicated or not, but that in certain cities where there was a greater percentage of people meditating and they correlated it with the crime rates going down. Yeah, kind of that thing. was in Chicago in the 1970s, they did that. Crime oh, went they... down exponentially when they had those core groups of people meditating in the middle of the city yeah. together, the groups. Now, correlation is very easy to establish. Causality is very difficult to establish, but yeah. uh, still, uh, it's an attractive idea and it makes sense to us that uh, as people attain tranquility, it's catching and uh, we're, our minds are connected, though most of us, very few of us are actually aware of that. But uh, I, I, we've all met people, at least, at least some of us have met people and maybe some of us ourselves uh, are more tuned into the interconnection of all minds. Right. Uh, my teacher could uh, read minds and he did he rarely let on that he could do it but only once in my life he said he said something and i realized that he knew exactly what was going on in my life. <laughs> and uh, how did he know well <laughs> 
she's in touch with the... So basically we each have a responsibility to pursue our peace of mind, to pursue our spiritual growth, because that will somehow affect the planets, even in, if it's in some small way, right? Well, I like to think of uh, Peace Pilgrim. Do you know Peace Pilgrim? Do you remember Peace Pilgrim? Mm-mm. Okay, future, a future class, we'll do Peace Pilgrim. She's wonderful. She was an American, uh, uh, Pam knows her, right? You know Peace Pilgrim, oh my gosh. Uh, she was uh, a saint, an American born saint who lived like a, a wandering nun. And she had on a, a blue tunic and on the back was uh she had different messages but it was something like walking a million miles for peace or something like started out walking ten thousand miles for peace walking coast to coast for peace anyhow she lived she owned only the clothes on her back and uh the few things she had in the pockets of her tunic and she was uh, an illumined soul and she had teachings about peace and uh Afterwards, her friends and and students uh, wrote, put together a couple of books of her words and teachings. Mm. She didn't write any books herself, but she wrote mm. letters. But she would say that peace is we have to work in, on peace on all fronts. Uh, she would say uh, on the global level, on the national level, on the local level, and then she would always say, and the all important inner peace. So. Uh, she was a real peace worker, and that was a time when it looked like global nuclear war was a, was very w- w- was likely. Uh, it's still a possibility, but not doesn't feel quite as likely as it did in those days. And so she was in favor of, of working for peace on all levels. And one of the ideas she had that I love is she she said, you know, all all our countries and this country, United States, has a Department of War, which we now call euphemistically Department of Defense. She right. said, we, we must have a Department of Peace. Yeah. And as we have a Secretary of Defense and a Secretary of Transportation, all these things, we need a Secretary of Peace. And that department of the government will be focused on how do you cultivate peace and, and st- learning and then implementing all over the world uh, peace uh, projects rather than war projects. And uh, it's a very attractive idea. and. I think it should be it should be done. Yeah, and Marianne Williamson brought that up in the presidential debates when she was running for president. You know, there should be a Department of Peace. It comes up every so often. I remember Mother Teresa. There's some famous story about how somebody said, "Oh, we're going to an anti-war rally," and she refused to go. She says, "Invite me to a peace rally, and I'll go. I'm not going to anti-war rally." Uh-huh. peace pilgrim may have been the one who came up with this idea of department of peace yeah i like that idea it makes sense yes yes i mean you know healthcare is really the system of healthcare right now is really sickness care (laughs) it's not about promoting health and if we kind of turned it on its head that would be better too All right, well, I have a question for you from uh, Mohana, who couldn't be here today, but she emailed me this and she'll be watching on YouTube. So you'll be answering her in the future sometime, but this is it. She says, Sri Ramakrishna has said, 
just as when a cow is tied to a post with a long tether, it can stand at a distance of one cubit from it or of the whole length of the rope. So it is with the free will of man. Pranam Swamiji, could you expand on this and throw light on how we can use our limited free will in the right way? What should guide our actions in difficult or confusing times as well as good times? That's a pretty big question. It's a huge question. Like, how do we live our lives? <laughs> yeah. It's all, you, you know, with the, the, if we take, if we start, if we take to Vedanta, then it's really a recipe. It is a recipe for our whole life uh, because spiritual life is not something just for Sundays uh, or just for early mornings. Spiritual life has to be how every interaction we have with every person, including ourselves, has to be on a spiritual basis. It has to be based in spirituality. It has to be based in the idea that everyone is a manifestation of the divine. And when we base all our actions and all our thoughts on that, then the right actions will naturally unfold. That image of the cow with the tether is a beautiful way of explaining the idea of free will. Ultimately, Sri Ramakrishna would say we do not have free will, but it seems we have some free will. And yes, a cow can move, uh, that's how they graze the cows in India. They don't have necessarily have a pasture with fences. They hammer a stake into the ground, pound a stake into the ground, and there's a rope of maybe 20 feet. And so the cow is free to move within that entire radius of the rope, but it can't go beyond that. Mm. So in that sense, our will, ha we have some free will, uh, but we're not completely and utterly free that when we attain that utter that complete freedom then we've attained the goal of life mm. but clearly at least from our limited standpoint it does appear that we have a certain amount of willpower and how do we apply that to our spiritual life can we get up early in the morning and uh, eat for an hour before we start our day well Sometimes we can and sometimes we can't. Uh, is it just a matter of willpower? Is there's also the there's so many things at play in our lives. Maybe we have a job that we have to work late uh, and we can't get up early in the morning, but uh, still we try. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think it's a matter of uh, the choices that we make. You know, because there's so many times we do have a choice. Sometimes we don't have a choice. But when we do have a choice, what choice are we making? And, and what's our priority? You know, and how do we make those choices? Are we making it with the right intentions? You know, with good, pure intentions. That's where uh, the, that brings to mind the Karta Upanishad, where Yama points out in Nachiketa that, that, that we're constantly faced with this with this choice of between Shreyas and Preyas. Shreyas, which leads us to unfold our divinity, leads us further along the spiritual path, and Preyas, which may seem like the nicest, the most fun, the most pleasurable option right now, but ends up binding us and 
taking us away from the goal. We, we fall away from the goal following the, the pleasurable. Right. The mere, merely pleasure, the merely pleasurable. Yeah. And the harder choice is, is the more difficult choice, right? The, the being good and the, the, what is it? Which was the, which one is the one again? Shreyas and Preyas, but I can't remember which is which all the time. Shreyas is the one which leads to uh, greater mastery over ourselves and greater okay. uh, peace and uh, true joy and freedom. And Preyas right. is that which, it, well, it, it depends which is easier. You know, at the beginning of spiritual life, yes, Preyas is the easy one and Shreyas is the hard one. But when we become advanced in spiritual life, Prayas would be difficult just to go and, uh, you, you know, go yeah. wallow in the mud. We don't, it, then we don't feel like doing that anymore. Go you know? to a rave and listen to loud music. Right. Uh, okay. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, you, you couldn't pay me to go. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like that example about if, um, you know, medicine tastes like bitter or poison at first but then it's good for you and ambrosia or, or candy tastes good at first but it ends up being poison for you so right that's that's the gita's uh, delineation of the three kinds of happiness and the, the first one is uh, describes the rad the the sattvic happiness which yes. tastes like poison at the beginning but it tastes like nectar at the end and the second is the rajasic happiness which tastes like nectar at first but like poison at the end yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just got to stay on the path. Okay, so who has questions for Swami today? You guys can raise your hand or jump right in there. I know you have questions. Don't be shy. Damn, yay. <laughs> I, uh, this is, well, and in a way it is a spiritual question is, how is life in Seattle? You're in Seattle now, is that correct? No, that's Satyamayananda is the one who went to Seattle. Yeah. Oh, you're still in the, we can still see you for. Yes. Mahayogananda is still in Hollywood. Hollywood. She got her Swami's screen. Okay, this is wonderful. I <laughs> This well, how is life in Hollywood? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty. It's pretty quiet without Swami Satyamayan on the here. Uh, uh -oh. he, he left and went up to Seattle, so things are a little quiet. But we're adjusting to that, and uh, we have a big celebration coming up on Tuesday, a nighttime worship called Shiva Ratri, the night of Shiva, oh. and which traditionally we stay up all night long and we don't do that anymore here. We, but we stay up until at least probably, I'll probably be up until two or three in the morning. Wow. Um, and fast. Tell us Swami about the, the purpose of that, the meaning behind it and the purpose of it. And how can we celebrate at home since we don't want to stay up till two in the morning? <laughs> uh, well, traditionally we fast on that day and Shiva is said to be very easy to please. Shiva is one manifestation of the divine in the Hindu pantheon, you can say. Uh, and uh, so by fasting, we're constant, we're, we're disciplining that, that part of our mind that constantly says, I want to enjoy, I want to eat, I want to enjoy, I want to, I want to taste something nice. And we're saying, no, right? Today is dedicated to Shiva. I'm just going to think of God today. And so we fast. And then 
we do a little worship, uh, traditional worship. We have a little image, a little emblem of Shiva, and we will make offerings. We pour water over that emblem and chant mantras while doing that and all that. But um, fasting now and then can be very helpful in, in spiritual life. Uh, it's, we generally follow the middle path. So not too much fasting and not ideally not too much fasting and not too much feasting. Right. Uh, path. Yeah, there's something called Ekadashi. Is that right? Uh, At the 11th fortnight of the moon, man, many Hindus do fast on the Ekadashi, the 11th fortnight of the moon. That's twice a month. They'll have a fasting day. And there are different levels of fasting. Some, the most extreme will not even take a drop of water. And they'll say that this is really the, the greatest, you get the greatest benefit. I don't think everyone is suited for that. I don't think I'm suited for that. It, you get too dried out. I get too dried out. So fasting without taking any water doesn't suit me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I take a little water, a little tea. Maybe I'll go so far as to have a little uh, green coconut water, which has some electrolytes, uh, things like that. But um, there's a, jo a great joy in it. And part of the joy also is because we're all doing it. Mm. It's not that I'm fasting all alone and everybody's eating. Uh, it, at our, most of our monasteries, including this one, many of the brothers are fasting. So uh, we fasting together. We don't make a big show of it or a big discussion about it. Uh, as Jesus says, no, when you fast, don't beat your brow and show everything, but clean your mouth. You shouldn't brush your teeth, scrape your tongue, <laughs> uh, take a shower. Don't show that there's any, you're having any suffering from fasting. Uh, show do you do anything to distract the mind from thinking about food? Well, we're pretty busy. Shivaratri, we're pretty busy getting ready for the worship ceremony and uh, it's uh, one thing that's always strikes me on a fasting day like that is, gosh, how much time we ordinarily spend around food. We have to spend some time preparing it. And then we sit around the table and consume it. And then we have more time cleaning up afterwards. And on a fasting day, you don't have all that time is freed up for other things. <laughs> really convenient. Only problem is, is you, can't, you can't do it more than once in once in a while. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but so we'll have then. There's there's the night traditional Chivaratri. The night is divided up into four quarters. We call them watches. So the first quarter is six to twelve, then uh, twelve to three. Uh, oh, it's six to nine, nine to twelve, twelve to three, and three to six. Those are the four quarters of the night. And each in each quarter, a, a full puja is performed. So there's actually four pujas performed on Shivaratri night. Wow. And a puja is a big deal. I don't know if, you know, everybody has been to one. I don't think Pam's been to one, but um, it's a big deal. It's a very uh, festive and intricate ceremonial ritual. I remember you taught us in class how to do one. Right, right. That so was so fun. We should yeah. do that again. I need Absolutely. a refresher. Absolutely. So that, that was awesome. That that is uh, done four times, and we in here many years ago it was abbreviated. So we do still do the four pujas, but we do them from the first one starts at six, the second one starts at eight thirty, the third one starts at ten, and the fourth one starts at eleven thirty. 
So by mm -hmm. one o'clock in the morning, we're done with our pujas and all of that. And then the watches, they just have to stay up and chant or? <laughs> oh, then we, we call it, a, we call it a night. We say we've done our four watches. So it's, we just. Okay. Yeah. In traditional, if you're going to do it traditionally, you're, you're up till the sun rises and then you go take wow. a nap. Yeah. So you do like a, a Brit condensed yeah, version. Did, yeah, condensed version. <laughs> there you go. That's good. Okay. Who else has a question? Jeet, what about you? You always have a curious mind. I know you have a question. Well, my question would be more, Swamiji, like how do you, um, you know, because you have to, the way I look at it, you as monks have to always be an inspiration, source of inspiration and joy for others. Uh, how do you deal with any unpleasant events in your life? Um, that that's a question because I, I feel like, uh, you know, that's uh, because you, we kind of, we look to you for inspiration. I'm sure you get, you have, if, uh, you know, incidents where you get angry or uh, maybe sad or unpleasant. How do you deal with it? Well, uh, the same way that you do, probably. <laughs> a little bit of struggle. And we then come to you. Swamiji, so we look at you and we are happy. So I'm saying, we come to you. Who do you go to? <laughs> yeah, who else? To, who else is there to go to? Wait, I'll show you. Grandmother. Uh, mother. <laughs> I have to remove this. Uh, I have this blurred virtual background here. There, now you can see who we go to. There she is. <laughs> and I see Preeti also has a beautiful picture of Thakur and Mother behind her. Yeah, right. Yeah. So naturally, that's where we. Where Where else can we go? We have to go to the divine. Uh, and yeah, you're sure in we live in community. And that's said to be one of the great austerities is community life because uh, you have your family that you live with, and you you chose your wife. Mo well, in America, at least most people choose their spouses. In India, I don't know, some people still get it arranged. But either way, um, you know, in the monastery, we join the monastery for God. Uh, and along with that comes all the brothers and it was, we didn't choose them the way you've, you know, chosen your family and you're raised your, you know, you have your kids and all that. We, <laughs> so naturally there's going to be, we have different natures. And so it's a, it can be a tremendous uh, kind of. Rounding off of our sharp edges to live in community. Because naturally, we're going to have conflicts with each other. That's in the nature of people. And uh, so we have such different natures. So we sometimes we get conflicts. And there's the old Zen saying, monks in a monastery are like pebbles in a bag. You put a bunch of pebbles in a, in a bag, a cloth bag, and then you shake the bag and all the pebbles knock against each other. And what happens if you keep shaking it, all the sharp edges get knocked off. Mm -hmm and the pebbles become smooth. So ideally, that's what's happening to us. That's a great analogy. Our, our personalities are becoming, our, our sharp edges are getting worn away and we're becoming smooth. But it, ha it requires conscious attention to that. Uh, when we, if we get into some kind of a little conflict, we have to look at ourselves and say, well, what is my part in this, you know, is it all his fault because he's being crazy, he's doing these things, 
or what part is also my role in this little conflict uh, and looking at that and maybe letting it go. Getting Thank some insight so into it, getting some insight into my own defects. You know, it's difficult to see your own defects. As Holy Mother said, it's very easy to see defects in others, but to see our own is is difficult. Yeah, but seeing defects in others is just the mirror in front of us, right? We can relate. We wouldn't see it if we didn't have it ourselves in some way, shape, or form. Oh boy! Thank you so much, Swami. Pam. I have another question. What is it that you, uh, we all have our aspirations. What is, is there any particular aspirations that you're working uh, to reveal it within yourself, as I say, that has not been revealed yet? You don't know which hasn't been revealed, but I mean, is there something that you are, uh, I guess, longing for in well, the divine, in the divine? Oh, yes. I mean, there you have it. I mean, the longing for, you know, in spiritual life, as you, as you well know, as we go on in spiritual life, we get glimpses, right? But that's not yet the goal. We haven't, uh, uh, am I established in God consciousness all the time? Am I fully aware all the time that I'm not my body, that I am uh, an infinite uh, existence, consciousness and bliss? Well, no, I'm not all the time. I'm working towards that. I understand on some level the goal I'm working towards, which is to realize my true nature as one with God. Uh, but I haven't reached that point yet. And then uh, I'm working towards that. <laughs> and that's from the Vedantic standpoint, we say that's what we're all seeking, whether we know it or not. We're seeking for that complete fulfillment, that complete stilling of all desires of all longing and there's only one place where all longing can be stilled we cannot satisfy we cannot quieten all our desires just by fulfilling them they can only be stilled in the divine when we are completely fulfilled and completed and realize that we are ever the perfect one mm. That's really well said. And I think, uh, I don't think we want to leave this world having desires unfulfilled because that means we're going to have some karma that we might have to come back to this world to fulfill that desire. How do we know when we should give up a desire or whether we should pursue that desire to like get it over with? Yeah, Sri Ramakrishna, that's a good question. Sri Ramakrishna himself uh, had some desires, some strong desires that arose in his mind and he asked Mathur Babu to help him. He had a desire to put on a costly uh, Benares shawl and smoke from a Hubble bubble pipe and so he uh, a shawl embroidered with gold, right? So uh, Mathur Baba was a very wealthy man. He immediately got him a gold embroidered shawl and he put it on and smoked from a Hubble bubble. And then he said, he, he told us that uh, he I said to my mind, oh mind, this is wearing a gold embroidered shawl and this is smoking from a Hubble bubble. 
And then he t after a few minutes, he took the shawl off and he threw it on the ground and he started trampling on it. <laughs> and, and he had enough of it. So he, he fulfilled that desire. So the saying we generally have is small desires fulfill them. But uh, because we're, we're also at different stages in our life. Pam, nice. Well, great to see you. Take care. Thank you, Pam. Um, you're reading. I, I, I'm so lovely to be with you. I'll see you soon, I hope. Maybe okay. even in person in Hollywood. Let's okay. do that. Or maybe in Camarillo. We can invite him to come to Camarillo. Would you come? It would be wonderful. I Why love not? it when you're there. Why okay. Not? All okay. right. Bye. Blessings galore. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so that's uh, back to our point of discussion. Uh, we're all at different stages in our lives. Uh, for me, for instance, I should really, if I find the strong desires revising in my mind for anything, I should, I really should look at those. I feel at least that I should look at those and say, okay, well, this is not really, uh, actually big desires. Like, well, I should, I should be made head of a center, you know, or some, some, if some desire like that creeps up in my mind. I should give that up because that's only going to bring me suffering. But um, if someone who who is a student thinks, well, I, I'd like to go to a really good university. Yes, I by all means, as a student, that's the duty of a student is to study and to try to go to the, the best university they can go to. So there uh, that, that that's a desire that should be uh, we should try to fulfill. Right. So it has to do again with, uh, is the desire going to help us or hurt us? Now, what do we do when there's a seemingly insurmountable desire and yet we know it's not quite wholesome? What do we do in that case? And it involves some kind of addiction or it, uh, well, what, what do we do with, uh, with prayer and, and, and overcoming it? Or sometimes we just have to go in and experience it and then discover why it's like nectar at the beginning and like poison at the end. Yeah, cool. and I think it's in the Gita. I'm not quite sure if I'm remembering it, but I remember it, the Bhagavad Gita Museum. They Have you been to that one, the Bhagavad Gita Museum in Culver City? Oh, you got to go. It's so fun. It's like spiritual Disneyland. It's like so cool. They have these dioramas and you push a button and they talk and the animatronics ah, are doing it. And oh, and each, each panel is like a chapter of the Gita is so cool. And it's like $5 to get in. It's so cool. That's the uh, ISKCON, ISKCON or? Yeah, it's at the ISKCON temple in uh, Culver City. Um, but I've been a few times now because I just, I love it. It's, it's really corny, but it's so good. But they have this one illustration of this long staircase, you know, wide and long staircase. And it basically says you have to look at your desires and your actions. And if you're taking, if it's taking you closer to God, if it's moving you up the staircase in your spiritual growth, then that's good and keep going. But if it's taking you away from God or moving you down the staircase, then that's not good. Don't give up those desires, you know, stop doing that, turn around, go the other way, you know. 
I remember that we have, we should re we can remember that it, it, a lot of this depends on how do we do something and what's the yeah, what's yeah. the uh what, what what's the motive you know we could we could really want to have a new kitchen and it could be just so that we can enjoy the 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 beauty or it could be so that we can we maybe we need it to make a peaceful home mm -hmm. or maybe we 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 want it so that we can cook better meals to serve our family mm -hmm. uh, what's the motive or we want to uh, we dedicate the kitchen to holy mother and we want to prepare a little offering for her every day you know there's different motives behind we can if we can spiritualize the desire connected to god but all right i'm still going to remodel the kitchen it needs to be done but can i spiritualize it also yeah very good very good so there is a, a Swamiji along the lines that you said and uh, Paroma said there is this thing, uh, you know, idea on happiness equation, some some Harvard philosophy, you know, some teachers and there's this positive psychology folks who actually came up with it. It is, uh, they say that it's purpose plus engagement plus pleasure. Meaning. Uh, the, the three components together actually define it. Uh, and um, and if you can connect it to a spiritual component, so if you have, and the way to describe it is um, that if something, a desire that you have that can be very easily fulfilled, most probably it's either an addiction or either it's a repeated desire. And they've done a lot of research on it. So, uh, and I observe my, you know, as a householder, you have like, you know, the food or, you know, the most of the, our desires are repetitive, actually. If you start observing as a householder, uh, Swamiji, you may not see it that way because you as a monk have, don't have like in a householder level, most of our desires are actually repetitive. They are repetitive thoughts. So those can be very easily avoided. But then even if you go to the next level, then these uh, student, the desire that the student has to be at the top of the class. So again, if you add the purpose plus engagement, uh, so the purpose meaning, you know, for what, like, what is your long term goal out of it? And the, how much do you have to engage? Like if you, you can cheat and get to the top or if you can work hard and get to the top, if you work hard, which is engagement, that gives you happiness. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the purpose, you know, the purpose is the why behind everything. But beyond it, uh, there is this uh, Swami Sarupriyanandaji actually has a, had a lecture in IIT, and I believe he made somehow connected like a fourth layer, which is uh, if you have a spiritual connection to the why, like even the why shouldn't be materialistic. If the why is also spiritual, then you have a perfect, um, uh, you know, pyramid like the desires that should be fulfilled should have a spiritual connection, should have a purpose, should require some effort from you, and should make you happy. So all four have to go. <laughs> There's also the idea of taking joy in little things. That's true. Uh, like, for instance, um, a morning cup of tea. And just you, you make it carefully and properly and, and you sip it while re maybe you're going to read a book or you sip it with your family members uh, before you go for meditation or uh, say, I, I can get joy from things like, like uh, a new meditation cushion 
If it's just it just right, then I can meditate better, and I can th I can be grateful for this thing, and it can give me joy. That this is a really a a, a, a something to take joy in, uh, where we recognize that all joy ultimately is a reflection of the supreme joy. Then look at Swami Vivekananda, how much joy he could manifest at just enjoying ice cream. He could eat ice cream and love it and enjoy it. And not that he was addicted to ice cream or that he's craving ice cream all the time. But when ice cream was served, he would, he would love it. He would, mm -hmm. he would really enjoy it. So it, it, spiritual life doesn't mean that we can't fulfill some of these repetitive desires also. But uh, that we can taste the joy in them also and feel and, re and remember that it's a reflection of that supernal joy. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think a lot of it is where is our attention going? And when our attention goes to what we have rather than what we don't have, we're, we can be in a state of gratitude. You know, I have this wonderful cup of tea. I'm going to enjoy it. Not, oh, I'm only drinking tea because I'm out of coffee, doggone it. You know, like that kind of thing. You just, you know, you, you would enjoy and appreciate and have gratitude for what you have rather than desiring something you don't have. That's in my four pearls and four squirrels book, by the way. <laughs> four pearls and four, what is it again? Four pearls and four. The four pearls and the four squirrels. Squirrels, yes, the four pearls. Yeah. The pearls of wisdom, you know, the other, the other one is, um, uh, look at, look at what you have, not at what you don't have. Look at what you are doing, not what someone else is doing. Look at the opportunities, not the obstacles and look at what matters, not at what doesn't matter. So those are my, uh, what are they the four agreements <laughs> Paramah's version of the four agreements the four pearls nice oh gosh okay well this has been wonderful does anybody have any other questions before we close out ruhi is here from she's in college right now doing graduate school studying away and Sushma, Preeti, so glad to have you all with us. Yeah, Pranam Swamiji. It's, it's so uh, glad to be, uh, be part of this discussion. Oh, look, you're outside. How nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sushma is in Northern California, San Jose. Glad you could join us. Yes, yeah. you visited us not long back. Yeah, my pleasure. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, so you have any parting words of wisdom for us, Swamiji? Right where we are, there also is God. We're always sitting in the Divine Mother's lap. We just don't, we often we forget but we're all sitting in mother's lap. She is holding us. We are her eternal children. Let us pray to her that she should 
remind us that she's there. We forget, we start playing all the, with all the toys and, and then we get into all the arguments and we forget completely that mother is there. Mother, don't let us forget you. Thus always that you are here with us, holding us. We feel your guidance always. And may we want only one thing, which is your, your feet. May we, come, may we only want to know you and to manifest your love and to express your Thank you so much, Swamiji. Thank you so much, Swamiji. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Swamiji. Nice conversation we could, we could have. Yes. Jaima. Jaima. And we will Jaima. see you soon. Yes, we'll have to do something in person. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. We're, we're getting so close now. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Take care. Jaima, Jaima, Jaima.